so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Brian High. Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde. Thank you so much for joining us here on the America Out Loud Network. A lot of stuff popping off around our world today. It's hard to know where to begin, but look, I, I know that uh, with with some of the action taking place in Ukraine and, of course, uh, the, you know, do, do we root for the people that uh, the American government's leaders are rooting for? Do we root against Putin and the Russians? I mean... I'm going to just take this from the standpoint of I'm not trying to get you to come down on any one side, but can we start with a more obvious problem of who do you actually believe? I mean, now that Putin has started military action in Ukraine, it's tough to know who to believe as to why this is all happening. And the waters don't get any clearer, you know, if you you look to a lot of the the mainstream uh, sources of information. For instance, narrative managers have been working furiously to quash all discussion of how this might have been avoided through a little bit of diplomacy. But if we had uh, seen that approach taken, then it's very possible that the U.S. empire would have had to take a step back from its agenda of, you know, being the dominant force on the planet. And so you have people like uh, Michael McFaul saying things on Twitter like, please don't give Putin propagandists a platform on your media platforms. There's a time and a place for hearing two sides of an issue. This tragic moment in European history is not one of them. He says, do not give false equivalency to voices of evil and voices of good. See, this would be a whole lot more clear-cut for me if it were, for instance, 1984, and I were a teenager growing up watching Red Dawn and living under the shadow of the Cold War. Seems like things were much more clear cut. Ronald Reagan or uh, let's see, who was it at that time? I think it was Lenoid Brezhnev who was the leader at that time. This was before uh, uh, Yuri Andropov. But now I'm not so sure. And, and before you think, well, gee, Brian, you're talking just like some Russian asset. Let me just let me offer this by way of explanation. I have sat back now for many, many years, but especially the last couple of years. I have watched the political class in my own country, the United States of America, do everything in their power to bring me into captivity, to destroy my monetary system, to inflate the money supply and tax away the value of every dollar that I have sitting in the bank. I've seen them tinker with my liberties. Why would I trust them? Is it, well, Putin's worse. 
I don't know that. I, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this as a supporter of Putin, but I feel a lot less threat to my personal liberty and my well-being from whatever uh, Putin is doing regarding which flag flies over soil over there on that side of the world than I do with the, you know, I, I feel much more concerned about what, what my own political leaders are doing. And when you have one of the most influential Russia experts in the world, like Michael McFaul, decrying propaganda while demanding that media outlets enact propaganda, it seems to me we have a real challenge in front of us. Who can you possibly believe? Saying what your government wants said instead of objective reporting the truth, that's the thing that propaganda is made of. So when someone's saying, please don't report facts on your media platforms, don't let anybody talk about, you know, what... You know, what uh, What has been going on that led up to this? So with that in mind, I want to share with you some excerpts from The Good Citizen. This is a marvelous summary of the situation in an essay titled Hyenas in the Kitchen. And The Good Citizen on the, their Substack account says, Putin swings back. Listening to Putin's recent speech that preceded the declaration to recognize the independent republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, it was difficult not to notice that something was incredibly off about his claims. They simply did not match what the Western corporate press, those dutiful stenographers for NATO power, have been reporting for years. Putin gave the world a history lesson, pulled back the curtain on Western lies and hypocrisy, only some of them. There are a thousand curtains that need pulling back. He showed the world why he's not going to be pushed around <coughs> excuse me, by the little hyenas of the European prairie any longer. In some Middle Eastern folklore, hyenas are referred to as symbols of treachery and stupidity. In other mythologies, they're known as vampire creatures who stalk and suck the blood of their prey. The phrase, laugh like a hyena, dates back centuries in English literature, including Shakespeare, and now embodies the number two position of the American executive branch, but more on hyenas later. Putin's speech corrected the hyenas' revisionist attempts of events in Ukraine the past eight years and revealed a man who, having watched his nation get pushed to its limits with broken promises and doormat NATO diplomacy, showed that he simply had enough. And good for him. In our new multipolar world of geopolitical chess, the bear and dragon are ascendant, and realist foreign policy doesn't require the permission of any community, particularly a deceitful paper tiger like NATO or a useless cabal of globalist order takers at the EU or UN. Now, while there's little to celebrate with these new circumstances for global conflict, a convenient distraction from the last engineered global conflict, we must recognize the chance for lasting peace and alliance between the West and Russia was denied by the U.S. every step of the way. All that remains is brutal realism and the flexing of power, the kind of realism rooted in self-interest to serve the people of a nation and defend it from encroaching hyenas. Twenty years of poking the bear has consequences, but hyenas don't know anything beyond their instincts, treachery, and stupidity. So given the role of the global corporate press in engineering a pandemic and all the crimes that followed the past two years, it's astounding that people who know their lies and propaganda were constant and shameful. Yet they watch these same servants of power report on Russia and Putin and believe that what they're saying is the truth. But that's how but how does that saying go again? Fool me once here and twice there, happy to get fooled again and again. 
The Good Citizen says everything they've reported since the U.S.-backed coup in Ukraine in 2014, from the Dignity Revolution, where neo-Nazi nationalists from western Ukraine were mobilized as shock troops to overthrow the the Yanukovych government with U.S. aid, and brutally attacked any Russian loyalists burning 40 alive in a building in Odessa, to the annexation of Crimea, whose population prefers Russia, to the constant violations of the Minsk Agreement by Ukrainian forces along the ceasefire lines, to claims of Ukrainian democracy when it's at best a dysfunctional corrupt oligarchy, has all been one stream of endless lies. Add to that the domestic lies of Trump-Russia collusion set up through the CIA and FBI's attempted coups of a democratically elected president at home, engineered by the opposition party, while constantly vilifying anyone who asked any questions at all as Putin's puppet or Russian sympathizers. And you have one of the biggest psychological operations ever unleashed on Western populations, not to mention grotesque acts of overt treason. Yet still, many who know that the media and government pandemic lies are terrifyingly real still believe the stories about Putin and Russia. But that's how logic works. If A was lying about everything regarding X... Well, they're certainly telling the truth regarding Y and Z. Interestingly, here's a tweet from uh, Christina Pushaw at CBS News. Russia is a dictatorship because they have state-run media that parrots the Putin regime propaganda, not like America, where we have a totally free press. I know, I didn't feel like I need to hold for the laughter, <laughs> but it wasn't a joke. I think she was serious. Now, the good citizen says if there was ever anything noble in war... The courage, bravery, facing one's mortality, the tactics and maneuvers of battles that required outsmarting one's enemy, Sun Tzu's art, all that is lost to advanced technology and a desire to manipulate public sentiment above all things. They call them hybrid wars, asymmetric wars, psychological wars, information wars, and have been proffered on this outfit the most, and has been proffered on this outfit the most evil of all where victims are unsuspecting innocents believing their governments have their best interests in mind. Silent wars. Atrocities by states against their own citizens. So today's wars are not fought. They're curated like an exhibit at a museum. They're designed like a tapestry or an exotic dish on a cooking show. A little bit of false flag fava beans, Julian propaganda peppers, sliced projection potatoes, a splash of historical revisionism radishes, Piles of intel leaks, and you have the makings of war by design. Put it all into an oven where your enemy feels the burn and acts in a way you can claim was their true evil nature all along, and you have a nice dish of cooked-up conflict. When you control the global media machine who work for the head chefs designing this war dish, it makes it effortless to serve up this heaping load of detestable horse crap as reality. Yet millions will rush to obediently eat and regurgitate it. The ability to engineer pseudo-realities is effortless through controlled information monopolies and compliant and passive populations who become conditioned to believe what they are told. Contrary to the myth of the Internet age liberating information for the masses, the opposite has been happening. Information is suppressed. People are corralled like grazing animals into silos for control and manipulation where they are fed carefully prepared morsels to digest. Two-thirds of the top 100 news and information websites are controlled by corporations with connections to war chiefs at intelligence agencies and groups like the Atlantic Council and Council on Foreign Relations. 
They all read the exact same scripts. They all read from the exact same scripts that are prepared by our benevolent war designers. Now, these war designers are part of a class of elites who detest their own citizens whom they view as lesser people, Hunger Games provincial rubes. Manipulating them through fear, lies, propaganda becomes a fun game. Socially engineering their reactions to events half a world away that they couldn't find on a map becomes the first front of battle. Getting them to believe up is down, Russia is evil, Putin is a monster, and that the sudden issues in Ukraine are the cause of all the domestic problems they really care about, like inflation, high gas prices, and supply chain crises. It requires constant psychological disinformation shelling. Here's a good example of this. Here's a tweet from Morgan Arte Yukina. It's worth remembering that for eight years, Russia was the strongest proponent of the Minsk Protocol for peace in Donbass, which, which said the region was part of Ukraine. It was Kiev who repeatedly refused to follow the peace process, doing so with full U.S. support. Then you have CBS News come out with the headline, The U.S. economy has been hit with increased gas prices, inflation, and supply chain issues due to the U- Ukraine crisis. Oh, there's no gaslighting going on here. How the, Ukraine cri- how the Ukraine crisis is already hitting Americans' wallets. Now, the good citizen says two-faced diplomacy, performance and propaganda is what we're talking about, and it's easy. The secretaries of war meet to discuss diplomatic resolutions while their intelligence operators and behavioral psychologists manipulate their war communications departments of the global corporate media by filling their inbox with messages of leaks that aren't actually leaks, but rather instructions to report the headlines and say it's based on a real leak. And this is blasted around the world as truth and amplified by the elite war designers in academia, think tanks, and NGOs fronting for Western hyenas. Now, this propaganda barrage serves two purposes. The first is to manipulate public opinion in their favor. This is nothing new, going back at least to the USS Maine at every conflict since. In our post-printing press, globally interconnected information world, it becomes more challenging, requiring more audacious headlines that require people really put their imaginations to work believing what is reported. The skeptical, discerning mind knows that none of it is true, but most people are are neither skeptical nor discerning, having outsourced their thinking to truth machines and technology and the corporate media. The second purpose is to trigger a reaction from their manufactured enemy to engender the conflict they desire. So while the propaganda barrage is ongoing, the Western secretaries of war meet with their Russian counterparts, Putin or Lavrov, to show how resolute they are, flexing for the cameras and saying they really want a a diplomatic resolution to the very problem that they engineered and are using their media propagandists to make much worse. It's all a performance of front-stage diplomacy that completely defies their backstage actions. So whenever the other side ends up doing what they said they would do, they can point to their performance and say, well, we tried to resolve this peacefully and find a diplomatic solution, but look, they don't want one. Putin once again outwitted the Western war designers by recognizing the breakaway regions of mostly ethnic Russians as independent republics. Now, the rabbit hyenas didn't get the result of the all-out attack on Ukraine the war war chefs were trying to cook up for the past few months. But that hasn't stopped them from incessantly yelling for an imminent invasion any second now, even getting their Five Eyes proxies in Australia to start echoing the same feverish lust for all-out war. Now, this declaration of independent republics by Putin 
allowed him to follow the Western script for occupation and to send his peacekeeping force to protect the people of Luhansk and Donetsk from the U.S.-funded Ukrainian neo-Nazi nationalists constantly shelling the breakaway forces for the past eight years in violation of the Minsk agreements. According to the Western war designers, this is tantamount to an invasion of Ukraine, and so another curtain of hypocrisy goes up, concealing the truth. It's entirely fine for the U.S. to send in peacekeeping forces to regions it desires to recognize as independent or to overthrow for its own national security interests that aren't anywhere near its own borders. But for Russia to do the same at its own border to protect Russian-speaking people, a majority of whom would rather be allied with Russia, that's considered an invasion. Right. So the hyenas cooking up conflict reacted as they always do to this invasion that they helped engineer with more sanctions that won't even affect Russia and more bellicose, laughable rhetoric about how Putin is a threat to world peace and needs to be dealt with. This is the expected behavior of hyenas. Hyenas in the animal kingdom are pests. They have neither the patient cunning of the feline nor loyal devotion of the canine. They're a kind of bastard, retarded hybrid of both with no likable or redeeming qualities. They obnoxiously hover and harangue and wait for whatever scraps they can get while running away at full speed if confronted by real power. Here's Putin finally flexing and the hyenas have basically crapped themselves and fled Ukraine to neighboring Poland, whom to its own detriment will now increasingly assume the role of hyena vassal like Ukraine did. With Russia right on its border and Poland inviting more antagonisms from their toxic hyena friends, they're only inviting danger. And when real power comes for Poland, the hyenas will run again, despite the NATO pact, and badger Russia from a different vassal state, and it will be the Poles who suffer, not hyenas and not Americans. U.S. foreign policy is a racket. The war designers in the MIC, the government, media, and think tanks will never suffer consequences of their treachery and stupidity. The EU has agreed to a suicide pact with the U.S., which will require it buys U.S. natural gas at inflated prices rather than from their neighbor and friends in Russia, whom they recently asked to build more pipelines to supply cheap energy to the continent. With friends like the U.S., who needs enemies? European nations who stand by the U.S. are putting their own people in harm's way and need to step back and reconsider their own treachery and stupidity in allying with a bunch of rabid hyenas who only seek to engineer pseudo-realities that create enemies and conflict where none need exist. As with everything we've experienced this century from these bloodthirsty animals, this too is probably all by design. I want to share with you an audio clip here. This is from the Joe Rogan Show. And it's his interview with Majid Nawaz on how when there's no such thing as truth, you can't define reality. And when you can't define reality, the only thing that matters is power. Listen to this discussion on how relativist thinking is increasingly dominating our public discourse. This is. I'm not just talking about government. I'm also talking about people that have accepted a certain narrative and find that there's a lot of other people that are along with them in this same narrative. And they have these media pylons, like social media pylons, where they'll attack people. And like you, call you an anti-vaxxer even though you've been vaccinated. The same thing with Eric Clapton. They were angry at Eric Clapton because he spoke openly about his very extreme vaccine side effects. Just speaking openly as a person who was vaccinated. And they called him a vile anti-vaxxer. Well, the question is why, right? And it's to shut debate down. Yes. Now, why would you want to shut debate down? There's, I think there's a deeper point here. And that is that 
we've just we've just come out of a time where for a long time uh, moral and let's just say relativism whether it's moral or otherwise relativism this idea that truth is relative this yeah. idea that um, that it's all subjective that everything is personal experience that's being promoted yeah there's no such thing as reality whether it comes down to defining a man or woman uh, we spoke about this last time I was here with, with um, well, it was there in California, but with Sam as well. We spoke about the, the trans debate and man yes. and woman. Defi- whether it's defining a man and a woman, whether it's anything else, this idea that actually truth is all personally subjective. Right. Uh, when, you, when you promote the idea that there's no such thing as truth and when you shut down debate that is seeking truth, not that it claims truth, but is seeking it, when you shut that debate down, in aid of this idea that truth is relative, like those, for example, who now know the science that the uh, COVID vaccination doesn't stop or, re- or, or doesn't stop infection or transmission and doesn't reduce it beyond twelve weeks. The booster shot, by the way, is eight weeks. But having known that, and they still insist on vaccine passports, it's it's no longer about seeking the truth for them. The truth is relative, and it serves a purpose. What happens when you do that? When there's no such thing as truth, you can't define reality. And when you can't define reality, the only thing that matters is power. You're a father. Now, we, your child, children who can't reason, like my, my kid's five. I mean, his reasoning abilities are great, but he's five, right? It's why you say to the child, because I said so, do it. It's good for you. Because they don't know how to reason yet. Yeah. And you try. And if something's too complex, you say, I'll explain another time. But right now you have to listen to your father. Don't do this. When you can't, when there's no such thing as truth, because everything's relative, the only thing that matters is power, because power gets to define reality. And this brings us to the hybrid war we're in right now. And that's why people that are in power, who are seeking a specific outcome from the world that we're in, want to shut debate down. What they're not interested in is seeking truth. What they're interested in is shutting that debate down because power steps into that void when reason no longer exists and gets to define reality for you from up above. And it's why it's so important in a dictatorship that the only thing you have left when all your power is taken from you is the truth. And if you read Orwell, if you look at 1984, it's why he spends so much time talking about how the power he was uh, writing about in that, in that fictional account is attempting to redefine reality, redefine the past, redefine the future. Because if, if you can't hold on to reality, you have no premise to scrutinize the government for whether they're telling you the truth or not. And it's really, it is a war in that sense, hybrid war. So information in that war becomes your most powerful weapon. Now, most people don't have the privilege of researching these debates, foreign policy, war on terror, COVID, whatever it is, People don't have the privilege because they're working nine to five, a minimum wage, and they're hungry and they're, and they're just busy trying to live and survive. What they normally do is they outsource their thinking on where the truth lies to trusted voices in the media. So it's why it becomes so important to manipulate the media so that those trusted voices that people are looking to are no longer giving them at least the best understanding of the truth they have, but are also peddling the agenda of power. When you're in a situation like that, it becomes difficult to define reality and therefore difficult to challenge government um, on whether or not they are uh, sticking to their promises because everything gets shifted. Everything's relative. The Overton window keeps moving. The goalposts keep shifting. 
Okay, there's a good place to stop. But again, this is uh, Majid Nawaz on the Joe Rogan Show. And again, I, I know that uh, what I shared with you from the Good Citizens Substack article about hyenas in the kitchen, it, it comes right at, uh, at the whole narrative about how Russia are the bad guys and they are the ones who have started all of this trouble. And, and I, I'm not going to try to make light and pretend like, you know, hey, it's a good thing that there's shells flying and bullets flying and people dying in Ukraine. I think this is tragic on a number of levels. But the larger issue, because you and I are not there, okay, we're not the ones there fighting for our lives. We're not the ones, you know, who are in the thick of things. The critical thing for us is how do we know who to believe, what we can believe. And frankly, the the sources that are telling us, hey, you need to believe us and don't you dare believe Putin and don't you believe, uh, you know, the Russians. They're the same sources that have lied to us and tried their best to put us in cages over COVID and vaccines and masks and so forth. It's time to embrace critical thinking again. Let's make it fashionable. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. The American Constitution is the most magnificent document on earth. We are America Out Loud. Join us as we celebrate the genius of our founding fathers. You can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
Hey, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, and this is the America Out Loud Network. And I'm banging the drum hard today. Not for, you know, go Ukraine, go Putin. I, I understand there's armed conflict taking place. Unfortunately, this appeals to the baser instincts in most of us, particularly if we feel like we have a dog in that fight. But I would wager for most of us, it really doesn't matter what flag flies over a particular piece of land over there in, in Ukraine or in one of its uh, breakaway republics. What does matter, though, and what has direct impact on how we will function in the world is whether or not we are thinking clearly and independently about what's going, going on around us. And there's no better example. We've been through no finer classroom or a more painful classroom, as the case may be, than the way that government and media, mass media, misled us and manipulated us in the name of public health over the last couple of years. So I want to share with you an article. This is from Mass News. And I don't know much about this. I don't even know the name of the editor who wrote this. But after COVID, we must embrace critical thinking again. I do agree with this conclusion. The writer says, now that the pandemic is over, blind submission to authority must end. I'll never forget the most valuable lesson I learned during my first year at university, taught to me by a literature professor who had fled the USSR. All totalitarian regimes throughout history have shared one key trait, and that is they control all knowledge. And this is essential to their success because if you can't control what information the public can access, you can't effectively control a population. In fact, this professor would remind me often, if you ever give up your right to freedom of information, all of your freedom will be gone. You've lost everything. And the writer says it stuck with me, and over the four years I had the opportunity to work alongside some great professors to expand on that idea. They taught me how to maintain my freedom. First, learn to think. Now, freedom must be fought for and preserved in a variety of ways, but if you don't first know how to think, you won't even recognize when your freedom is being taken away in the first place. According to my professor, for a people to be free and remain free, each person must recognize that he or she is an individual capable of independent thought and learn to think critically about all subjects. Any less leads to reciting memorized information which may or may not be true. Free countries allow citizens to access public information and share knowledge. I mean, that makes sense, right? All of this is crucial as it is essential for innovation, creativity, and advancement in all fields, including physics, philosophy, and chemistry. Society thrives when individuals are free to question existing systems and offer new ideas without fear of being persecuted. Without that freedom, we wouldn't have personal computers and startups. We wouldn't have advances in medicine or engineering. We would be nothing more than submissive human capital to a tyrannical state, much like North Korea, for example. In this country, independent media are banned while citizens live under a one-party, one-man rule, and the country is in constant stagnation, and it's dark. Now, America has taken freedom of expression and information for granted for years, but slowly it is slipping away, and this is all on our shoulders. For years, we've been sleepwalking at an ever-quickening pace into what I can only describe as a dumbing down. It started with relying on Google to answer our questions, and then we let Netflix binge-watching become our public pastime. We no longer enjoy the traditional activity of people looking at screens. Instead, we're glued to our phones and scrolling through apps mindlessly. We have become a nation of passive consumers, the perfect kind of public to manipulate with propaganda and mind control. Therefore, the writer says it shouldn't have surprised me that people seeking power used the moment to take control of their citizens. 
Slowly, we are learning more about the level of risk COVID vaccines present. The blind submission to authority during COVID was a major wake-up call for me, and I hope for many, that losing our right to question the mainstream narrative is, as, is a dangerous and slippery slope to the loss of all freedom. In the two years that have passed, people I used to consider progressive and who believed in free speech and an open web were being silenced and deplatformed. They began chanting mantras and propaganda slogans that instructed us to keep it simple, as if science was a Bible rather than what science actually is, which is a continual search for knowledge. There is no such thing as the science. And science is not meant to be followed, but studied. And although there are some scientific conclusions that we reached, such as the existence of gravity, no scientist would advocate dismissing any form of skepticism. In fact, if you can't question something, poke at it and look for alternatives, then it isn't science. If you can't question it without fear of being canceled or blacklisted by your own government, then it quite obviously isn't science. It's a branch of authoritarianism. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that what becomes the consensus is wrong, but how we arrive there matters. And the COVID-19 mandates need to be viewed in context. Now, there was once a time that our government used DDT on children. If you believed this dangerous, then you would have been considered a right-wing conspiracist. The COVID-19 mandates were questioned. The science to end it. Similarly, we know now that lockdowns during the pandemic had little or no effect on mortality, according to a study from Johns Hopkins University, but caused a great deal of social, societal, and economic harm, especially for our youth. It took people willing to challenge the narrative to end lockdowns and to speak out. They had to be able to see the truth and not just accept it as it is. Now, the author who says, I'll never forget a Forbes article from 2020 warning we must never do our own research. I actually remember that article. Leave that to the experts. These are the experts. (laughs) Now, please understand, the writer says, that I don't mean to suggest that medical degrees or years of scientific research don't matter or that anyone can be a self-appointed doctor. But absolutely anyone has the right to conduct research, ask questions, and make decisions for themselves, especially about their own bodies. And the best way to protect your body's private property is to open your mind and ask more questions. Now, we're still generally free in large parts of Western Europe, although we must fight for it. Our freedom should be used to allow us to grow as individuals by being critical, asking questions about ourselves and others, and participating in civil discourse. We should strive toward intellectual curiosity, not adherence to dogmas spouted out by self-appointed experts. If we allow a few tech companies, CEOs of pharmaceutical companies, and politicians of any party to think for us, or to decide who or who isn't allowed to have a public opinion, or what type of information we're permitted to read, well, then my college professor was spot on. We've lost everything. And again, I don't know much about this other than this is massnews.com. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can check it out for yourself. Something to keep in mind is that the people in power are scared right now. And the reason they're scared is because their influence is waning. Now, they don't really want to understand why their influence is waning, but I can tell you with great confidence, it's because enough of us have noticed that their official words and reality are not lining up. So to avoid falling for their tricks again, Joaquin Book pitches the idea of we need skepticism as a new way of life. 
He says the 2020-2022 pandemic split parties and ideologues, separated friend from friend and family members from family members. Neighbors were dangerous and strangers even more so. The invisible enemy stalking our lands overturned every other concern in life. The conflicts it spurred replaced bonds of affection with fear and hatred. More than ever, we need calm and level-headed thinkers, honest and willing to admit past errors with eyes wide open for the corruption of industry or government itself. In other words, we need as little politics as humanly possible. He says, as I wrote in a previous piece, we need people without a clear ideological position and who can thus appeal to audiences across the political spectrum. Now, two sane figures recently attempted the impossible, that is, to speak calmly to the other side trying earnestly to explain what happened. Constantine Kissin of the popular show Trigonometry and Columbia sociology professor Musa Algarbi. Kissin begins his monologue with, you're struggling to understand why some people are vaccine hesitant. Let me help you. He uses no study result, no appeal to the biological effect of the drug that's become the main symbol of the COVID conflict, no death rates, no projection of spread, or what number of lives lockdowns may or may not have saved. Instead, Kissin, for 13 spellbinding minutes walks us through the many good reasons people had before and during COVID to distrust the elites in business, politics, and media. Now, if this is a question of distrusting the establishment, including the science, you must ask what the establishment did to no longer deserve that trust. And the tale begins years ago with the Brexit vote and with the election of Donald Trump. Those events shocked the pompous leaders of the universities, the pollsters who confidently said it wouldn't happen, the media pundits who so convincingly described to us the madness of such prospects. For a brief moment, after the unthinkable had happened, if you recall, there was an earnest desire for inclusivity, for inviting in the views that had gone overlooked in the other half of these countries. Outlets like the New York Times made an effort to portray conservative views and show the kinds of people who had long felt alienated and ostracized from civilized society. As despicable and difficult as it was for their core audience to see, revealing perspectives and objections is better than silencing and hiding them. But those efforts didn't last long. And in 2019 and 2020, the monolithic thoughts that dominate these institutions willingly put their blinders on tighter and more aggressively than before. Kissin's final minute is the most powerful thing in these two disease-ridden past years. Quote, the same people who told you Brexit would never happen, Trump would never win, and that when he did win, it was because of Russian collusion, then because of racism, that you must follow lockdown rules while they don't, that masks don't work, and then that they do, that protests during lockdowns are a health intervention, that ransacking black communities in the name of fighting racism are a health intervention, or is mostly peaceful justice, rather, that Jussie Smollett was the victim of a hate crime, that men are toxic, that there's an infinite number of genders, that COVID didn't come from a lab, and then that it probably did, that closing borders is racist, then that it's the most important thing to do, that the Hunter Biden story is Russian disinformation, and then that it's not, that they would not take Trump's vaccine, and then that you must take the vaccine, that Governor Cuomo is a great COVID leader, and then he's a granny killer and a sex pest, that the number of COVID deaths is one thing and then another, that hospitals are filled with COVID patients, and then that many of them caught COVID in the hospital. These are the same people now telling you that vaccines are safe. You must take it. And if you don't, you will be a second-class citizen. Understand vaccine hesitancy now? This is powerful, powerful stuff. And I'll, I'll let you discover more of this uh, on your own. It's, there's a link that I'll provide in the show notes 
But like Steve Carell's character says in that glorious scene from The Big Short, short everything that guy has touched. These guys have fooled us one too many times. We will not comply. And by the way, Musa Algarbi speaks uh, speaks out on this too in the British newspaper The Guardian. And his mind, he perfectly captures the mind of the current skeptic. He lists bullet point by bullet point the clear, sensible reasons why anyone would refuse to follow along. See, to most of his audience, these vaccines are fantastic miracles, life-saving devices, their impact ending the pandemic in one fell swoop. Failure to comply with the directives of health of public health officials, writes Al Garby, has thus seemed insane to the audience he addresses, probably driven by some pathology and or deficit. But he says debates turn around identifying the primary malfunction of those people. Are they ignorant? He's talking of the unvaxxed, brainwashed, stupid, selfish and apathetic, all of the above. Left off the menu is the possibility that hesitancy and noncompliance may actually be reasonable responses to how experts and other elites have conducted themselves both before and during the pandemic. I mean, think about how quickly those vaccines were developed without the long, rigorous testing regimes we usually apply to pharmaceuticals to ensure efficacy, correct dosage, target demographics, safety, and observation of long-term harm. Do you recall how Biden and Harris pushed vocally against Trump's vaccine, but when the power of government came into their hands, the tune was suddenly very different. Many people smelled a political rat. Speaking of rats, Dr. Fauci himself engaged in noble lie after noble lie to do what he says is crucial for them. To get people to do what he says is crucial for them, he lied about the masks, then the Wuhan lab financing and herd immunity targets. Why should anyone believe he hasn't lied about more things? Look, the bottom line is, this is the story that those who are skeptical of vaccines see. A dissonance between official words and reality that no amount of social ostracism or edicts from on high can eliminate. This is the story of a tribe of navel-gazing authoritarians imposing rules on the rest of us. Rules that don't make sense. That are routinely flaunted by their proponents. And in aggregate, do not achieve the goals they're said to achieve. So there's no reason to puzzle about the loss of trust and the rise of grave skepticism about elite plans for our lives. Again, this is from Joaquin Book. I'm going to shift gears now. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening in our economy. Today, we'd like to welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show, Carl Gould. Carl is a worldwide authority on business. He's uh, the founder of Seven Stage Advisors. And Carl, you actually have quite a long pedigree in business. You have started many businesses of your own. You help other people start their businesses. Anything else you'd want to tell our listeners about uh, who you are and what you do? Well, I, I, over the years, I've been uh, known as a growth advisor. So a little bit of a combination of management consulting and business coaching. And, uh, you know, with all the changes in technology today and all the different uh, opportunities for work, uh, you know, I, I did one of the early side hustles. I was a professional coach. So if there was a hashtag back then, um, it would have been a hashtag side hustle, but there weren't even hashtags when, and the job didn't exist. So <laughs> I'm very much in tune with people who are following their passion, rewriting their job descriptions and and making it happen for themselves. I know one of the big drivers of business is, you know, how confident are consumers? At least this, as far as our economy goes, if the, the consumers are feeling confident, they're going to be willing to spend money. Where do we stand today? Are, are U.S. consumers feeling more or less optimistic? I think, I think as a nation, we are generally speaking an optimistic nation. We're very entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurs tend to be 
uh, very positive about the economy in all times, no matter what. Um, and uh, that's our nature. Um, now, having said that, we are in inflationary times. And so when, when there is uncertainty, people pull back on purchases. That hasn't been the case just yet because with COVID um, starting to lessen, we are so anxious to get out, get around each other. And there's aspects of the economy we have not even been able to engage in for almost two years. And so that is a bit of a variable that's leading to us wanting to spend even during inflation. But that novelty is going to run out soon if inflation continues past this year. Now, is this being felt primarily in lower income households or is this uh, starting to affect uh, households across the board, regardless of their income level? Yeah, well, it impacts everybody across the board. Um, uh, so where where you feel it the most is when when you start talking about discretionary uh, income. So can I take that vacation? Am I going to book that flight? Am I going to, you know, uh, uh, book that hotel? I'll do the staycation instead of the vacation. So in America, we're a consumer-driven uh, economy. We'll still make the purchase. It'll just be a lesser one or a more conservative one. That's typically our pattern. Carl, can you give us some background as to why are consumers feeling the way that, that they're feeling? What's what's behind the, the sentiment right now? Well, you know, over the last couple of years um, with the pandemic and with how the economy has gone up and down, um, it's, you know, there's been so much trial and error and so much information and misinformation and guidance and changing in guidance that there's, I think there's just an inherent lack of trust in the communication that we're given. Um, and as a result, again, people will pull back a little bit or they'll wait and see, or they'll make, um, unfortunately, some rash decisions based on their own data or information that they've gotten that they feel is a trusted source, as opposed to what are some of the more traditional sources of information that we're used to. Is, is there anything that businesses can do at this point to, to help bolster the confidence of the consumer? Well, businesses can do a lot. Uh, the, um, the messaging that, and, the, and the communication and miscommunication is mostly coming from our regulatory authorities and our government. So businesses have a great opportunity here because you know what? All businesses is I make you a promise. I tell you I'm going to send you a product or service, and then I follow up on it. You buy it, I follow up on it, and I make it right, and I do my best. I do my level best to give you the experience I promised. So business is just a series of promise fulfillment, promise fulfillment, promise fulfillment. Now, where the opportunity lies for businesses right now is to tap into what are some of the needs of of the consumer right now. And if you look at it, During the pandemic, there were a number of changes in uh, consumer preferences and requests. Hey, could you come after hours? Don't come into my office when my team is there. Could you bring it to the curbside so I don't have to go inside? Would you, can it be contact free or touch free? What we're finding is, is that those requests are not temporary. They're permanent. And by permanent, they're going to be around for the next five to 10 years. So if you're a business, you want to make that promise and then deliver look at what the changes in sentiment have been over the last two years and make those part of your offerings. Now deliver, you know, um, have a virtual meeting, you know, be hybrid, do curbside, come after hours, 
those things are here to stay for a while. And, um, and if you can adjust your offerings to that, that's going to be very well received by your, your customer. So adaptability definitely is going to play in the favor of those businesses that want to continue to thrive. Now, I know this is kind of putting you on the spot, but I have to ask, do you, do you see things getting better or worse? I mean, long-term, short-term, how, how do you see things playing out? Yeah, so we're in, we're in a bit of a correction and we're going to see this. We're going to see this for the, for the next year and a half. Um, actually, we are in a cycle um, of, of business that, um, it, according to some research, would be called the winter. We are in the winter season of business, which started around 2005 and is estimated to go through 2029. So, so I'm not saying it's better, it's worse. You can decide that for yourself, but it's going to be volatile, right? We're going to have high peaks, low valleys, big corrections. Retail is still figuring out what the net, where retail will be five years from now. It will be different. Today's modern mall, today, the mall of today will be different. You know, it's going to be a live, work, play model, not just a go and shop model. Those days are gone. You know, the, the high street boutique shopping experience is making its way back. It's going to take a little time to flush that out. If you're a, biz, a building owner and you own office space right now, that's not going to be all of it office space in the future. It's going to be some distribution. It's going to be retail. It's going to be residential, right? And so we're going to repurpose that. And it's got to, it's got to find its way. So it's, it's more of a recalibration that we're going to see over the next few years. The economy will be better for it. Um, but in winter, you know, we, the leaves fall off the trees. The weather gets a little cold. We, we reassess where we've been. And then we come out stronger for the spring season. And that's kind of where we're at right now. I have to say that's kind of reassuring, too, to think of it as a season. Sometimes we may get stuck in a rut and say, oh, man, we're going to be here forever. But it's a season. It'll pass. And, and if memory serves, uh, typically on the other side of winter, things are a lot nicer, if memory serves. Right. <laughs> Just when we think winter's going to go on forever, the sun comes out, the, the flowers bloom. And, and this cycle has repeated every 80 years or thereabouts for the last 500 years. So this cycle is very predictable. We always get into a winter. It does have a period. There are typically two corrections. Our first one was in 2008 and nine. This is our second. And then there's a few years after that. And then we come into a more, uh, we come into a, a more stable time. Now during, during winter, there's a lot of things that change. Like Look at all the technological advances that have happened since 2008. You know, in, in five years, most of us are going to be driving electric cars. I mean, it's a tremendous, exciting time, but uh, it's not a stable time. It's a volatile time. So as long as you can be comfortable with a little bit of discomfort, you're probably going to do fine. Embrace these times. Two-thirds of the Fortune 500 companies were, were uh, launched during a recession. Uh, down times tend to make the most millionaires and billionaires in our history. This is the time, if you're thinking of launching a business, trying a new career, getting a new certification, this is the time because you can do it cheap, as cheap as ever. There's opportunity right now, and it's, and it's the wild, wild west. In other words, you can make your own opportunity. In the 1990s, very few people heard about professional coaching. I was able to design what my job is today back then. And I was able to have an impact on what the industry is 
back, you know, what it is today, back then, we all have that same opportunity today. It's, it, we will look back at this time as one of the most historic times uh, as it relates to business transformation. Sounds like uh, business owners just need to train themselves into seeing the opportunities more so than the obstacles. Correct. Right. Got, you've, you've got, yeah, this will absolutely test your commitment. It will test your creativity. And, and those that are up for it and apply the energy, the consumer is very willing. We have a captive audience. They're there and they want it. They want that creativity. I mean, if you look on social media, Elon Musk is one of the most watched people now. And if you would have said 20 years ago, an engineer would be one of the top social media personalities. Well, look at what he's doing. All he keeps saying is, guys, we're going to go to Mars and here's how I'm trying to do it. We're going to have electrical cars. Here's how I'm trying to do it. And I'm trying to make every home self-sustainable. And he's using, and mostly when you watch him, it's engineering is what he's talking about. Who would have thought back then that that would be one of the top personalities? And yet he is. That tells you what we're hungry for. We're hungry for real answers, real solutions, and people giving it their go, giving it their all. I mean, he's SpaceX has had its challenges, and yet people stand behind the idea. Carl, one of the difficult things for a lot of people is is trying to discern what are the best sources of information? I mean, there's a lot of information out there. It's like a blizzard coming at us. But are there any sources you recommend for people who are looking to get the, the lowdown without anybody's agenda attached to it that just want, want to get the facts, ma'am? Just the facts. Yeah, un- unfortunately, um, once news outlets had to become a profit center, they became opinionated. So there's not you know, I, I don't know that there's just one source for information. Um, and uh, so I, I can tell you what I do is, is I watch the three major networks because one of them's kind of on the left. One of them's kind of on the right. One of them tries to fly in the middle. And usually that's where you can get, um, uh, usually that's where you can get um, at least a balanced uh, approach to what, what the world events are. As far as as far as information, I like researched research and data and science based um, uh, reports, where the the science starts where the news ends. Right? I don't. I call whatever the news puts out. I call that news. I don't call that science. Is there some science in it? Absolutely, of course. But each network or outlet has an agenda. So I like to start my research where that news ends. You gave me a statistic. I'm going to look, I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to do my own research where I'm just given the, the, the actual facts. And then I can draw my own conclusions from there. Okay. One final question for you. And that is um, <clears throat> there, there's a lot of world attention focused right now on Ukraine. Um, I'd just mm-hmm. like to get your, your feel for uh, as far as economic confidence, uh, what kind of ripples is this sending out? What kind of effects is it likely to have? Yeah. So um, uh, the situation in Ukraine, um, you know, talk about volatility, the, uh, from a business standpoint, um, you know, the, the NATO powers and the, um, and its allies, the U.S. and its allies, U.K. and its allies, are going to try to Im- impose uh, s- uh, financial and economic sanctions. In order to do that, you know, that's like punishing your grocery store because they don't carry your food. You don't shop there anymore, but that means you have less food. So will there be some short-term discomfort for us as far as, you know, we're, we'll be disrupting their uh, Russia's energy program by not buying from them in other countries? So that means our gas prices are going to go up. 
um, they are um, they are likely going to uh, do have cyber attacks against whoever they believe is their enemy. You, uh, Europe and Asia, uh, sorry, Europe and the U.S. being being the, among those. So what you're going to see is um, you're, you're, we're going to see a lot of um, cybersecurity take the forefront. We're going to, have to make sure that we're very careful about how we use our data. Um, and um, and there will be certainly in the energy sector, there will be um, some disruptions there, which means we're going to pay more. The other part is the Ukraine is a, a relatively popular location for business process outsourcing or BPO. Um, and a lot of technology. Um, and so, you know, so they are they are looked to as a resource. And because of what's going on, uh, that will obviously, um, you know, interrupt people's plans. So so the technology and the BPO supply chain will be disrupted, which means those that rely on those companies in that re- companies in that region will have to look elsewhere, at least in the short term or at a minimum, their costs are going to rise. So it's certainly not helping the overall financial situation. And Russia does seem committed by the scale of their actions. And so at a a minimum, what that means is it's going to be longer term. Okay, we are talking with Carl Gould with Seven Stage Advisors. I'll have a link in the show notes so you can click on it and check out his company. Carl, thanks so much for shedding some light on this for us. A lot going on. I'm glad I was able to be of help. 